You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's go! Greetings one and all, and welcome to Ace Comicals, episode number 74. Today it is me, Ray. Hello. And uh, returning guest, Marv. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, so uh, we're down on Leon Upper Marv today. Um, <laughs> that's that's how this works. It's an um, unfortunate trade. Yeah, Leon's on the world's best cheat code. <laughs> <laughs> up, 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 down, 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 left, 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 right, 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 A, B, C, and start. And that's how you're not Marv. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm the hidden uh, the hidden skin for the character. Exactly. Yeah. To finish, you have to finish arcade mode six times without getting touched. Not so. when Marvin's around. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for damn sure. <laughs> so, uh, how have we been, guys? What what has been the order of the past two weeks? I mean, Ray, it's been a while since we've had you on, actually. <laughs> has been a while. I don't know yeah. what the fuck I've been doing in all this time. <laughs> it's been weeks. It's like, been... I'm looking at my calendar right now and everything's blank. <laughs> so I don't know where I've been or what I've been doing. Maybe um, maybe we're actually not connected to, to you. Maybe you're in some kind of like void realm somewhere. That's why the calendar's blank. That's a clue. I'm just in a pocket dimension, but I'm kind yeah. of like digging it in this pocket, just nice and cozy in my own little yeah. pocket. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like that episode of Buffy where uh, Willow's just sort of like adjacent to everyone else's reality. So like they can't see or feel her. <laughs> then you end up really enjoying it because you're like, I don't have to deal with any of these people. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the end of the Silent Hill movie. It's not, that sounds great. Like yeah. Go home and sleep on the couch. So you're oh. in a pocket dimension. So I've just got this image now of the ice cream man, Rick, like pulling you out of his shirt pocket. <laughs> Slowly, at the end of this, after the cast has been recorded. <laughs> just... I said it was pleasant, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I've been, I've been home for Navratri, which was uh, three or four weeks ago. And yeah. it's going to be Diwali this weekend. So like... It's mostly just family stuff and like chilling at the weekends and sorting out house things lately. That's that's what it's mostly been. Awesome. Yeah. How about um, you guys? Yeah, I've I've been good. Uh, I've been to see the Joker movie. So um, that's that's pretty much all I've done. That's like the the thing. I went to see the Joker movie. <laughs> that was the highlight of your month. Tumbleweed, whatever. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like I just I. I've not done a lot. Like I kind of fell off the wagon with Inktober because I just couldn't keep up. <laughs> like I, I, the ideas weren't flowing enough, and I was just like, I just can't keep up with this. And um, also, I, I think yeah. like being online and watching that stuff, and I think people get a bit militant about having to do the same thing every day. The whole point yeah. is it's meant to get your juices flowing and inspire you. And I think as long as you've done <clears throat> some, yeah, and you try to do it relatively consistently yeah. throughout the month, you'll be fine. Yeah. Like going you got you, you know you got another week and a half yeah i'm not not very good at being online all the time as well so mm. that's the other one yeah. um <clears throat> you took you guys have both seen the joker right yeah yeah we went to see yeah. it um i can't remember how long ago now i have that on my calendar hang on <laughs> it was it was about two weeks ago today in fact yeah and um so before we get into that let's just let marv sort of like give us a, the lowdown of where he's been for the past six issues <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I've been listening intently, as uh, I'm apt to do. I do love this podcast, and I'm very happy to guest on it again. <laughs> gush, gush, gush. But um, no, I'd like it's to just thank my same... mom and my sister. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, what, did we pay him to say that? Or what, what's that come from? 
I'm hoping to get a free T-shirt at the end of this. No, um, just same old, same old, really. Uh, work and uh, video games. Um, I've, I'm going on holiday in seven days to uh, Gran Canaria, so I'm looking forward to that. That'll be, uh, if I was doing this podcast in two weeks' time, that would have been the thing to talk about. But right now, it's just the lead up to that, really. So trying <laughs> to sort out travel money and making sure online check-in is all done and everything. Um, and apart from that, Joker movie. Yeah. So this this uh, Joker movie that everyone seems to be talking about this this new fangled thing. Um, what did you guys actually reckon to that? Just briefly, because I don't want to get into this too deep. Like, because I know there was like all this stuff surrounding it, and me and Leon had a little bit of a conversation about the fact that like in the previous podcast actually about the fact that we weren't entirely sure where all this discourse was actually coming from. Hmm. Because I mean, it, it seemed to seem to have been coming from two angles, but when you've actually seen the film, it's like none of that actually applies sticks. to it. At yeah, all. it doesn't really mm-hmm. apply to it. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, all conjecture you, and hu- yeah. If you stretch it really, Preferably. really thin, then you can come to those readings. But like, yeah, there's so there's so many like there's some really good tweets that I've seen that sum it up um, a lot more eloquently than I could, which is where I'm pulling from now. But it's almost like. Um, both sides of the aisle were really just pulling for this to be some kind of like, ooh, this is going to be like a trigger for some incel who's going to do a mass shooting. And it's like, well, no, it's a movie. Um, it's a movie about a character who is kind of rooted in those themes already before all this sort of, uh, I say before this mass shooter stuff became big. I mean, it's always been big in America, but um, before it became as regular in the news as it's been in the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like people on the left... Um, you know, and I'm I'm left leaning. I think we're all left leaning on this podcast. Um, it seemed like they were just like preemptively ready to just shit on the movie and be like, "Yeah, yeah, this is incel fuel. If you enjoy this movie, then you're part of the problem." And then you've got like people on the right, sort of like having their own reasons for sort of digging at it before it even comes out, or or putting it up on a pedestal before they've even seen it, and then it comes out, and it turns out it's just a really enjoyable movie. Exactly. It's like it's got nothing, like, as far as I could see, none of what people were throwing at it stuck to it. Like, all the things... Like like Marv said, I think um, people on both sides of the aisle were expecting or hoping it to be more incendiary than it was, and I think ultimately it had very little to actually say, and therefore couldn't really spark spark the kindling of anything, because it... It's it's like deliberately apolitical. Yeah. Um, in a way that I that's the that's my main criticism of the film is that uh, well I have a couple like it's trying to wear Martin Scorsese's clothes but there's you know the wrong man is inside that suit um, <laughs> with like and the lack of the same you know of that genius brain as well I think it's it's wearing it's it's like imposter syndrome or it's like it's playing imposter to a bunch of different styles and I think. All of the best bits, all the things that it does put, uh, pull off, like aesthetically and stylistically and whatever, are born of other creators and they're emulated really well. And they're not the work of Todd Phillips, who I think is the biggest weak point of this movie. And like Joaquin Phoenix does a really good job. I think he's a great, like it's a great performance. He's really physical and, um, you know, just like he has that stage presence. Mm-hmm. But like... Like one of my, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it must have been another podcast I was listening to. But one of the things they pointed out was at the end of the film, or like somewhat spoilers. I mean, but not really. Um, but like you have these protesters who are holding up these signs that say resist, but they're not saying what they're resisting to. Like they're so um, cl- like clinically and calculatedly trying to not 
um, gesture towards any particular uh, like political standpoint that it has ultimately nothing to say. And I think that's the biggest flaw of this film. See, like it just, yeah, it's, it's a lot of style and not a lot of substance. I don't, I don't think I, I actually noticed that. I think I, cause I, I didn't notice what they were protesting against. I didn't look at the side. I just, I knew they were protesting against the rich. Like it was the poor versus the rich. Like it was the whole like, um, class inequality. And yeah. Yeah. Class warfare thing. But that's that's all I that that's what I got from it. I guess they were resisting the rich because they didn't want um uh Wayne to be mayor, did they? Mm-hmm. But I see, mean I could see like it drew influence from like a million different Joker stories and just mixed them all together into one big stew. Mm-hmm. Like it's got like the um the side of things where he might not actually be the bad guy but he is the bad guy thing, which is uh that's like White Knight. Um, you've mm. got a lot of, uh, killing joke in there. Um, it's like you're watching this and, and, and like people are like saying that this is supposedly fuel for a fire, but have you read killing joke? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's the same thing. Like the world, ba- basically the whole point is the one bad day. It's the one bad day thing. And, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know where the um, the fear mongering for that really came from. I feel like that was manufactured outside of the movie. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't. I don't get it because like we've had all the arguments of you know how Fight Club. We you know we had all of that stuff, and it's basically doing the same kind of thing. Like it's not. I, actually, no. Here's, here's the thing. I, I remember hearing um, up ahead that it was extremely violent and that it's like it's extremely shocking and all of this and that. And it turns out it's actually quite tame. Like, the violence isn't really a thing in the movie. It's not that graphic. It's not, like, any more than... It's not 18-rated or whatever, as far as I could tell. No. So I don't know... I don't know... Yeah, I don't understand where that was being pulled from. And I feel yeah. like it was more just, like, hopefully incendiary than it turned out to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a... Certificate 15. The The worst thing that happens is he shoots a few people. Well, there's one thing that's worse than that, but we won't yeah. go into that. <laughs> yeah, but that's but mm. yeah. even that even that is nowhere near as bad as some of the stuff that's uh, been in movies recently. And oh, exactly, it, it is. It's um, it, it it does seem like like you said, people just sort of trying to create fire from nothing. Yeah, and I think it's the wrong argument to focus on, but like it seemed like such a big thing, um, and maybe it's to pull the wall over the eyes that like I actually don't think it's that great a movie. The more I think about it, the less I like it. Although I did enjoy the experience of being sat in the cinema and like being, you know, being having it wash over me, yeah, because um, it looks beautiful. Like it's all like staged really well, and like it just it it's visually really stunning. Yeah, and it, it, I feel like it has the Michael Bay Zack Snyder deal where it knows what moments it wants to fulfill, but then it doesn't know how to thread the links between those moments. Hmm. You know. I, I, I can agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think I enjoyed it. Mo- and in retrospect, as well as in the moment, I think I enjoyed it um, slightly more than you did, Rahul. But mm. I can agree with that, definitely. I... Um, I think one of the one of the things I said when we came out of the cinema was um, it, 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 it watches as if it's um, a really good adaptation of an Elseworlds Joker origin comic. Yes, that's exactly mm. what I was mm. about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what those words mean when they're put in that order. (laughs) Please explain. Okay, so Elseworlds is this thing that DC do, which is kind of like Marvel What If, but not. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, they they take a character and they kind of like warp that character in some way. So Mm. you've got... I mean, the thing that I love about 
what this film um, like promised to be is that thing I think I've mentioned on the cast before. Where I want that I you know they spent these companies have spent ten years setting up these universes. So like we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they've established who all these characters are. And they've, you know, they've had this template for a whole decade where they basically make the same film in terms of its tone and structure and everything over and over and over again. And it works. It's a really good formula because it gets people in seats. And now that they've established this world, they could do something really different with it. I want to see like a black and white philosophical, you know, two hour conversation on screen between like uh, Bruce Banner and the vision, you know, like that's what I was kind of hoping this would (laughs) lean towards, like, you know, it's we we know what um, the DC yeah. universe is. We know what Gotham City looks like. Let's have a different genre in this, you know, this comic book trapping. Yeah. And it only half delivered on that, in my opinion. Yeah, it, but I want them to do more. I really want them to like push this envelope. It was so like, I feel like DC are the yeah. ones who are actually going to be able to pull it off. I was going to say it did only take a half step, but it is a half mm. step. It's sort of the start of looking at different ways to do it because obviously yeah. there's been a lot of memes going around with like, oh, Marvel fans when they watch Joker, where's the CGI beams? You know, where's the big final actor conflict and stuff? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but that is good because it is a character yeah. study movie. Whether whether it was a, an entirely successful or not, it was a character study yeah, movie huh. that didn't have to rely on Joker versus Batman. Or, also, you know, inherently, mm. the Joker doesn't have superpowers. Yeah, <laughs> the one thing—the only thing he's good at—is taking a punch and causing <laughs> chaos. That's what the Joker is. Like he—he's mm-hmm. literally like you can you can throw whatever punishment you like at him, and he'll get back up. That's that's like I guess that's his one superpower. Like for his size, he can take a punch really fucking well. But like, there's just it is it's the way the the best way I can describe this Joker movie to to anyone who's not already seen it is like. Imagine if someone made a enormous paper mache um, sculpture of Michael Douglas in falling down out of pages from Joker books. <laughs> that's that's what, and then and then like dipped it in Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, tarred and feathered in Michael Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like a wonderful tie-dye factory that it's all sort of, sort of melted down film reels yeah <laughs> that's that's how i uh that's that's how i can describe it <laughs> but yeah um yeah that is uh <clears throat> that is the joker and uh it, for all what for all of what we're saying about it, it is actually a really good film if you are a comics fan I think it is still. I think it is still a good movie, and it's a good Joker movie. It's a good movie about a DC character. Um, you will enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed it as a, as a Batman and Joker fan. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this portrayal of the Joker. Um, parting word, like the the last thing I want to say about it is that it would not be the film it is if it wasn't for Joaquin Phoenix. If they had anybody else in that role, it wouldn't work. Very true at all. words. Yeah, it just yeah, would not. Does. Yeah. He carries that film. That entire film is in his backpack. Like that is that is that <laughs> backpack. I like that little Joker just walking around with like a tiny little like Hello Kitty backpack. Dor- yeah, Dory the Explorer, or Hello Kitty backpack. <laughs> See, as you were starting the sentence, I was in my head thinking, yeah, yeah, it does. It does rest on his shoulders. I guess like a backpack. Yeah, <laughs> in his backpack. Yeah. <laughs> Get out my backpack, Todd Phillips. <laughs> okay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no yeah no 
that that's it yeah so um yeah that is the joker movie and i guess from there that brings us on to the first comic that we all read which was the joker year of the villain number one which is a kind of a one-shot story about the joker to do with the dc year of the villain thing which is to do with some larger wider event um have you read anything else into the year of the villain stuff because i didn't know that was a thing until i picked up this comic no, no, it's I, been going. I, it's been going since May, and it's all oh, okay. to do with the fallout of Dark Knight's Metal, which is also what the uh, one of the other comics on our list is as well. They're all like intertwined in some way. I but, did love that when I when I yeah. read um, the, the two the two comics that we're referring to uh, that we're not spoiling for the podcast right now. Um, I I love the fact that they both kind of had uh, roots in Dark Knight's Metal and the the fallout of that is very very nice. Yes, yes. Am so I it's... right in thinking there's something to do with like Bane having taken over Gotham City? That's yeah, in the, that's, that's in the main Batman continuity at the moment. Okay, interesting. So it's set within that, but it's to do with this uh, this this year of the villain thing which is happening right mm-hmm. now which is uh lex luther or as he is known uh Ape, at the moment apex, apex lex. lex sounds like a wrestler yeah <laughs> apex lex he's half human half human half martian all lex yep apex lex <laughs> I don't and, like uh, it. he's recruiting villains to join um perpetua's cause in exchange for giving them a source of unlimited power in response to justice league recruiting heroes from around the universe to fight the new legion of doom so it's going to be some massive crisis involving everyone again oh isn't this it is always? dc comics <laughs> <laughs> crisis and on how many ads oh my god yeah oh the batman who laughs is, is back in this as well of course. So oh, cool. he's got okay, a lot okay. to do with it all yeah um because he's like He's like master of the dark multiverse, isn't he? He's like the 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 kind of like epicenter of the dark multiverse. He's the death metal album at the bottom of the stack. <laughs> so I do like me some Batman that laughs. I like yeah. the idea of the Batman that laughs. I think um, he's, he's one of he's one of the uh, the only yeah. sort of Dark Knight's metal characters that really stuck with me after reading the uh, the main the main oh, uh, paperback. I really liked um, the Drowned as well. Yeah, yeah, the Drowned was cool too. Yeah. There was some, actually all of them were pretty cool takes. The only one that I thought was a little bit weak was um, the Red Death. Yeah, yeah, but the rest of them were pretty cool. Um, I just like the idea of like these being Batman's biggest failings, kind of thing, and then like, but but like Batman. So so these are these are points in a story or whatever where Batman has made the wrong choice. And because of that wrong choice, things have gone down a very different spiral and ended with some horribly twisted version of the Batman ideal or the Batman idea. And I, I just like the fact that it, it teeters like, and this is going to come up again in this podcast, Yeah, <laughs> that it's on such a fragile thread, all of it. Mm. I mean, I would love to see them do this with other heroes as well, because as much as I love Batman, I'd love to see them do this with like Superman or something. Mm. Like, see the thing. The thing with Dark Knight's Metal for me was, um, like you were uh, spinning off from what you were saying, the 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 concept, the idea of it being a uh, Batman just making one wrong decision again, having one bad day, um, yeah. and just everything spiraling spiraling out of control. The idea of that was so good to me that it's one of the few um, like big crossover titles where I enjoyed the uh, the the. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the spin-offs. What am I thinking of? 
you know where you have the uh, all the side the stories. Are, thank you, all the yeah. tie-ins. I preferred because um, the tie-ins where you had the origin stories of each of the Dark Knights. Yeah, they each got and their the own t- one shot, and it was and so their one good. Shots are so incredible. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Ray, if you could deal with this kind of comics bullshit, I'd recommend it to you. <laughs> I think you'd know that I can't. <laughs> well, the thing is, because they are all just one-shot origin stories, they yeah. are really good and really yeah. easy to read. Yeah, mm. and it's really fun. You don't fun. even need to read Dark Knight's Metal, just yeah. read the origins of all the Dark Knights. <laughs> it's, it's really fun, and it will get you throwing horns and punching holes in drywall. and <laughs> <laughs> Changing your name to Kyle. <laughs> well, not quite that, but it's... <laughs> No, it's got it's got like the whole like you you just it fires you up like I I I wanted to listen to metal after, and you know what right? Um, there is actually like a couple of tracks that were made for Dark Knight's Metal. There's a Jerry Cantorell track, um, Jerry Cantorell of Alice in Chains, and then there's a um, uh, um, a track by um Chino as well from uh, Deftones. So. They're both pretty good songs, actually. Um, I will dig out the names and stick them in the show notes. But yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, and so yeah, Apex Lex, and uh, we are given this Joker one shot, which is kind of like a little bit of an exploration of what supposedly an exploration of what the Joker is. Um, so from the top, we'll just give you the credits. So um we've got oh, what, a, what a bunch of credits by the way oh yeah yeah, yeah huge <laughs> yeah this so is the like the whole reason that i wanted to read the, yeah. um, this one shot first thing you notice about this is the fact that it's got pencilers and inkers which is i mean this comes up a couple of times in this podcast but not something you see very often nowadays um so we've got john carpenter and anthony birch writing sorry sorry wait, wait. john carpenter the yeah. john carpenter yeah john carpenter yeah the yeah. john carpenter <laughs> The John Carpenter and Anthony Birch writing. You've got um, pencils by Philip Tan. You've got inks by Philip Tan, Jonathan Galapian, or Jonathan Galapian, uh, Mark Deering, Danny Meeky, um, colours by J. David Ramos, and uh, letters are by Gabriella Downey. Um, I just want to point out, this is Anthony Birch of um, like Borderlands 2 lead writer, uh, Anthony Birch fame. Yeah. Um, if that means anything to any, any listeners. Which... It, doesn't, it doesn't show yeah. It's 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 weird because the reason I picked this up was on the strength of both of those names, but knowing that in my head, John Carpenter and Anthony Birch feel like oil and water in a way, because like John Carpenter being horror master and Anthony Birch being like meme lord, but actually quite funny. Like I like what he, I, I don't particularly like what, like his sense of humor in the Borderlands series or in Borderlands 2, but I do kind of like his web series on YouTube, which is Hey Ashley, What You're Playing, where he does um, like short video game related comedy skits with his sister, who is Ashley Birch, who is the voice of characters in Life is Strange and um, Horizon Zero Dawn, etc. She's she's quite big these days. Hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was interested to see what it was based on those guys. And John Carpenter, I, I believe, was the name that attracted you, Marv. Am I right? Yes, yes. As I was uh, scrolling through the uh, annals of Comicsology, I saw this, and you know, I like me a good jo- Joker story anyway. But you know, right, r- right, uh, John Carpenter. I was like, I have to see what this mm. is. So, I mean, I'll go through the uh, the the sort of like the blurb that you we are given uh, from uh, on uh, the uh, previous world site. So, in the year of the villain. What's a clown prince of crime to do when the world has started to accept doing bad as the only way to live? 
outbad everyone else, of course. The Joker is on a mission to get his mojo back and prove to the world that there's no greater villainy than the kind that leaves you laughing. This special one-shot is co-written by legendary film auteur John Carpenter, The Thing and Halloween, and Anthony Birch, The Borderlands Video Games, making for a Joker comic that's twisted in ways you never imagined. And, uh, yeah, so first impressions, guys. Start with you, Marv, if you want. Um, I would have to say that I really enjoyed it. Um, I was sort of into minds about some of the subject matter. I know, um, like briefly speaking to Rahul about it, um, that he had some things he has, he's going to say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 overall, I very much enjoyed it. Um, there are, I won't go into details, but there are some very, very nice Joker related callbacks in this that I thoroughly enjoyed. And, um, as a story about the Joker and the, the Joker as a villain who is an evil person, I think it's a very well done story. Yeah, I think there's a couple of turns in this comic that I actually really do enjoy because, like, for the most part, I I think as Marvin hinted to, I was kind of down on it, but I don't think that's the comic's fault. I think I'm a little bit weary of these kind of solipsistic um, stories about like that are so dark and nihilistic and all about this ang- anxiety of loneliness. Um, I don't think it's what I am really into at the minute. But like I said, there's some moments where some of the costumes that um, the Joker and his accomplice in this story don and the things they do are actually really interesting and kept me engaged throughout the the whole of this book. (laughs) Yeah, um, at at its core, um, it is a story about choices. Like, we all have choices. We all make choices. And... With the Joker being who the Joker is and his character being conflated so with mental illness, like, so closely linked because the whole thing is, oh my God, the Joker's crazy, you know. Um, uh, that That's like what a lot of people go for, that the Joker is just this, uh, this epitome of sickness, of wrongness and everything else. But it's because he's mentally ill, right? Well, I mean, that may or may not be the case according to this book and uh, even if you are it's it just like that the whole point is that you you make choices and things don't necessarily have to define you and you don't necessarily have to do the you don't you don't like it, the the point of it is it's you can be good and bad and you don't necessarily have to have certain things as excuses and things like that i think is the best way to put it yeah, yeah i, I think Sorry, go ahead, Muff. No, no, just uh, just moving off of that point is um, you don't have to do what the do what the implications of the labels that society puts on you. Uh, yeah, you, you know what you're expected exactly. with that label. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and yeah, it's it's to do with that, and it's to do with making choices, and it's to do with the the fact that the Joker, you know at the core of his character is simply an evil twisted thing, evil twisted person. You know, he's not, yes, he's crazy, but he, he's not doing things because he's necessarily crazy. He's doing things because he's evil and twisted and because he's the Joker. Yes. And we've, um, we've some really cool moments in this book, actually. And the art is actually really nice. I noticed like some really fine pencil work actually. And like, uh, some of the detail just really shines through when you look. Some great panels, like some panels that are framed with the laugh. 
Yeah. Actually, I really enjoy those. Um, mm. As we're on this kind of like tour through the city, the Joker's like wild in basically <laughs> with this kid. <laughs> They're just like going on a tour through the city and just just causing havoc. Just well, that, that's havoc. the thing. the The framework of his story is that he's picked up like this this straggler kid who um, has escaped with him from Arkham Asylum, I assume. Um, and we see we see the Joker reflected in this guy's story, who we only ever know as. I think the six of hearts, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and like, that's, that's the guy's name as given to him by the Joker. And, uh, and it's, to me, it's kind of like the, the reflection of them to each other. And like yeah. how, like you were pointing out that um, the choices you make when you've been assigned the status of say something like insane and what that means about the things that you do then based on, whether you're, you know, you're labeled as insane or not. And I, I don't know, I think I'm a little bit, I feel like this is undercooked, this idea very slightly. Um, and I think I'm a little bit disappointed that it wasn't just, you know what, you know what the biggest takeaway for me for this is, is that it's not as horrific as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> it, being John Carpenter, I thought it, 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 ten, it turned out to be a lot more like, sh- shallow is going to sound like, uh, too harsh a phrase, but it's kind of what I'm like. Think shallow, but but less uh, intense. Maybe like deep fried. I don't know. Um, yeah, like 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 standard Joker rather than something different with a John Carpenter twist on Joker. Yeah, with a, well, with a John Carpenter yeah. horrific twist, like genuine horror. And I, this does go to some places where it it's like um, it's tense and scary, and it has these family connections and the things that you, the choices that you make and how they influence other people and all of that. But it did. It wasn't as like. Uh, like deep horror that I was I was expecting, I think. Well, no, but it, it's almost like um, a John Carpenter version of a classic Joker. So because he's got the the fun, so yeah. it's not it's mm. not Joker like <laughs> death of the family. Yeah, or yeah, it's it's Joker. <laughs> <No> face Joker. <laughs> yeah, it's Joker punchline Joker, fun Joker. Yeah, um, and mm. he has a he has a like a massive elaborate gag in this one. Um, <laughs> But, like, I mean, like, there's some really great panel work in this as well. I, I mean, like, I especially love the moment with um, Condiment King. Yes, Condiment I was so King happy turns to see him in there. <laughs> yeah, and then ends up drowning in a pool of mustard. <laughs> <laughs> Face down in a pool of mustard. But I love that. And there's this really nice point. It's a really nice bit, actually. Like, one of my favourite bits of art in this is where we see the f- switch flip in Joker's head and we see him come up with the joke. And uh, hmm. it's all dark and shadowy, his face. And this is where he's turned on Condiment King and he's got Condiment King's weapon. He's holding it against Condiment King's head. And he's like, you're a scourge on this city, Condiment King, a villain. And you know what villains deserve. And when you see this picture of the Joker in the background, this is actually probably one of the more like sort of like horror laced moments, actually. He's got bats coming off him. Yeah, yeah I, I love I, that. I will give you that. Like, I think there's something they do really well with this version of the Joker is he, he's like this wild-eyed, terrifying, understimulated Joker. Like, he's constantly looking for yeah. the next thing that will stimulate him. Yeah. And he, like, flip-flops hard between, yeah. like, jokey, like, the wisecracking Joker and then suddenly a really serious, stern-faced, um, like, dangerous Joker. I think that's... That, that's comes off the page really well. And that's what I, think... I really liked about it. And that's what I meant when I said a John Carpenter take on a uh, a classic Joker, like a Cesar Romero style. Like mm. a bit of Cesar Romero in there and a bit of um, 
almost a bit of uh, the uh, uh, Jack Nicholson yeah. uh, as well. Bit I, I like Mark coming, Hamill. Coming off what, coming off what uh, Rahul was saying uh, with the switch between you know the, the yeah. funny and the serious and the intense and the jovial. I love the bit when they're um, they're in the car and yeah. Joker tells a joke and uh, the kid doesn't laugh. And there's just a, a single panel of the Joker looking really bored. And then he just puts a gun to his head and he says, say something fun. And you're just mm. sort of like, oh, God, what's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah. You see, that that for me is the Mark Hamill moment. <laughs> yeah. That's that's like Mark Hamill Joker. Because I can just imagine that with the uh, the TAS theme as well. And he's like, mm. you know, like the glum face. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and the TAS Joker's like not having a good day. And he's got like the glum face. I just love that frown. Oh, my God, that frown's amazing. But like. I can just imagine him sat there like that in the car with the say something funny, you know, holds the gun out to his head kind of thing. Yeah, with the score in the background. But my my favorite moment in this entire comic is the light bulb moment where he realizes what he's going to do, and he's like, "That's how I'm going to have fun today." Mm. And he turns on uh, Condiment King, and uh, then they get a couple of cheap costumes, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I do love it. I do love it for that. Actually, I did. I did really enjoy um... the little adventure that they go on. Yeah, up to that moment. yes, yeah. it is really, yeah. really good. I, See, I, no, go on, go on. Oh no, I was just going to say again, uh, spoiler free, but um, towards the end of that little adventure that they go on, there's uh, again a very big callback and uh, shout outs to the panel work in that because it's frame for frame, um, you know, almost identical to the story that it's referencing. Yes. If you know what I'm talking about, uh, uh, Greg. Yes, 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 yes. A thousand times yes. And I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is actually it is it is panel for panel. Yeah. Or pretty much panel for panel. And it's it's framed in the same way. And uh, yeah, it's it's a perfect way. For this to actually end, I reckon. Hmm. I think it's the perfect way to end it. And that is a real horrific moment, actually. Yes, one of the most horrific moments in DC yeah. history. <laughs> yeah, but like in this book, it's really visceral and horrific. Mm. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's actually worse in this than it is in, in the the first time around. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah. It had and, me worrying about how the comic was going to end. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, mm. uh, based on uh, how the original turn went. Yeah, oh, I love. Yeah, I, I love, actually know what you're referring to here. Yeah, I, I love the um, the the bit that like kind of defines the Joker for me in this as well is where he's choking the Joker and then the Joker <laughs> just kind of just goes, kind of whispers harder. Yeah, it's so good. It's that's actually yeah. my. I think that's my favorite panel in this yeah. whole comic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I love that. I love that moment so much that I literally like jumped up, ran to the bathroom where Dion was doing her hair, and had her read that page. <laughs> <laughs> that that just defines the Joker for me. Like he enjoys it. <laughs> so yeah, but that's the you know, he enjoys his work. That's the Joker. I mean, he... the thing is, the only thing I don't like about this is because we've been very like Joker centric on the, talking about this so far, but we haven't talked about the you know his accomplice the the character who we are actually seeing these antics through the eyes of and like really this story is about like the influence that the joker has on somebody who's really vulnerable and is looking for some level of like comfort or you know a need from somebody else and he finds that need in the joker and like 
I don't, I guess I'm just a little bit uncomfortable about this, the overarching story about this kid who, in in crossing the line, he needs to cross, he needs to cross his own, like, uh, line of acceptability before he can, he needs to retreat back from it and realize what he's done wrong and realize that he's not okay with the choices that he's made. Yeah. And whether, you know, whether he's culpable, uh, you know, how culpable he is over the things he's done and, like, the influence that genuine evil has had on him. And I get, I don't know, I feel like that's, like I said, I think I said earlier, like, I yeah. feel like that's a little bit undercooked and undersold. And then also leads into, like, this horrific, really horrific violence towards the end. And I don't know what it's trying to say about it. Although there is one of my, one of my favorite moments. I, don't, I really don't know how to do this without spoiling it, but there's this, there's a really cool, I, cool. there's a really interesting, like, non-sequitur comment where, like, this, this moment of extreme violence has happened and there's almost a moment of catharsis where, you know, this, this kid's reuniting with somebody from his past and then they just pull out this one line which is such a and i feel like it's such a mum thing to do like, oh yeah a, yeah like, <laughs> i don't know there's there's some good moments well, of like the thing uh, is the line the line itself isn't a spoiler um as long as you just sort of just say completely out of context it's just is that a tattoo and you're like huh <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah I, like the, yeah. the writing flip-flops for me i think i don't yeah. i don't quite know what it's trying to lean towards but then it does pay off in like some interesting cathartic ways but yeah it it pays off and it makes sense to me i i I get what it's getting at and what it's trying to do and um without going in too deep and deconstructing it too much um (laughs) i i i do think it's a good comic and it's a good look at the joker and the thing the certain things that comprise the joker and also um a good look at batman through the eyes of the joker yes I think for me, um, in answer to your question of sort of what is it trying to say, again, the framing is questionable in, um, you know, it could have been done without the framing of basically taking advantage of um, a very vulnerable young man. But Mm. it's almost sort of um, a look at the side of the Joker that you see when he is cohabiting slash abusing Harley. Mm. Yeah. This kid is almost like Harley 2.0 for him. I mean, there's a moment where... Um, the Joker's kicked over a barrel of um, Scarecrow's fear toxin into Gotham's water supply and he's like, why is nobody trying to stop me? And the kid said something and he's like, oh bloody hell, how long have you been here? <laughs> he, he means nothing to him. Yeah. Like He's just a, an avatar of fun for him. He doesn't have any ties to him, whereas this kid has like, kind of latched his entire existence to the Joker for that moment. Mm. Yeah, but the Joker doesn't care about anybody at his core and that's that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was, uh, the Joker, um, year of the villain number one. Um, I, I think that was a, I think that's a solid first entry into our list of comics this week. I quite enjoyed that one. Yeah. Where do we go from there? Well, uh, I guess, uh, we move on to the mask. Is that what we do? Is that what we do, Marv? I'd be happy with that. Yeah, so this is uh, The Mask, I Pledge Allegiance to The Mask, which is The Mask, as in, well, you will know, a lot of you will know The Mask as Jim Carrey, Somebody Stop Me Smoking, Greenface, Stanley Epkiss, The Mask. Um, But anybody who's read the original Mask comics will know that The Mask is actually not called The Mask, it's called Big Head. And um, it's not actually fun 
Well, it is, but it isn't. It's it's like uh, you know, it's not as fun as as what you've seen on the screen. Let's just say Jim Carrey. This ain't. Yeah, it's not yeah. zany humor like cartoonish. Well, it is, over it the is top. zany humor, like, cartoonish, but it's not. Mm. It's 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 different. not without its consequences. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So we're back to Edge City. Um, <laughs> now, what I'm going to do is uh, there's literally the in the book the city is Edge City. Um, so oh, I'm gonna, okay. yeah, I will. Uh, <laughs> I will read the blurb. Years ago, a weird mask of unknown origin and limitless power was buried in the cement of an apartment building's basement floor. Edge City and its residents have all but forgotten the mysterious green-faced killer known only as Big Head. But now, decades later, the bizarre Tex Avery-style killings are happening all over again and are on a collision course with a bizarre political campaign where a homicidal maniac wants to make America green again. So, um... The mask has turned up again in the hands of somebody else, and um, the basic, basically, the whole thing with this is that this mask changes hands, and um, you've got several different kind of iterations of this story where several different people have had the mask, and we get a look at what the mask does to them or lets them do because the mask is um, it's the basically your inner. Id. Yeah, it's your id, your mm-hmm. inner desires amplified. Um, and yeah, it is literally your id just coming out. And it just basically, you are a cartoon in the real world, for want of a better way of putting it. When you put this thing on, like, you you have cartoon powers. Like, you can change costume instantly. It's like it's like you are a, a Looney Tunes slapstick character. But in reality... And able to exact Looney Tunes slapstick violence on people, but this violence has consequences. I think you're underselling just how dark and violent this is, because you keep saying like cartoony slapstick, but this in this issue in particular, I don't think there's much of like slapstick. I think it's actually well, really brutal over the I'm, top. I'm about to, I'm about no, 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 to get onto that. I was, I was gonna say, I was gonna yeah. say this issue loses basically all of the cartoony side that was in the original run of the exactly. comics. Yes. Yeah. Because, because yeah. the movie and the cartoon leaned heavily into this is a cartoon character, but mm-hmm. the, the people that he's doing the cartoon violence to, they have cartoon outcomes. Whereas in the original run of the comic, the mask is a happy-go-lucky character. Yes, he's a serial killer, but he's having fun. Uh, mm. But anyone he, you know, he sticks a bomb on or, you know, mallets in the head, they have severe head trauma. You know, they blow up and mm. they lose all their teeth. They're not going to just, you know, rub the ash off their face and carry on. Yeah. They die. I mean, but yeah. it's presented in a very funny slapstick way, whereas in this comic, yeah. it's, I mean, the word that I wrote down in my notes is just gruesome and grimdark. Well, <laughs> it, in this, I've, I've, it, the violence feels more malicious and less parodial. Yes, mm, um, for sure. Yeah, and it's amplified, but not the same as the previous incarnations of the book. Like by comparison, it is missing something. The slapstick doesn't feel so slapstick, possibly because, actually, of the art style, I think. Uh, it's mm. because the art leans more towards realism than the previous ones, which changes the feel and the mood a little bit. And it's less it's less bold, cartoony work. Because, I mean, if you... Um, you go back to the original, like, four-issue run of The Mask uh, from the early 90s, the, um, and or you check out, like, the original... Was it four issues... 
I, I'm not sure. I've got the omnibuses, so I don't that's, know how That's the same as me. Like, I, I read it from an omnibus, so I don't know. Like, but, like, I think, I think there's, like, there's an original few issues with um, Stanley Ipkiss, and then from Stanley Ipkiss, the mask changes hands in, uh, to a uh, police officer. And um, the police officer becomes a murderous vigilante rather than a, a, a murderer for murder's sake like vengeance murder which is what stanley ipkiss does with it mm. but like it's framed in such a way and the art has such a, a um the art style in these original books kind of gives it some bounce whereas with this because it's um i mean i i, I can imagine filling someone with hershey's syrup <laughs> would actually be funny if it wasn't drawn that way <laughs> Yeah, God. Like, the first page of this comic, the very first page, you know, you get yeah. past the, 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 the credits and everything in the Making America Green Again poster. Yeah. And the first, it's like, dilapidated shack, cockroaches crawling everywhere, and child abuse. Yeah. And you're like, well, I guess we're in for a wild ride. Can I just point out, like, I read this immediately after Joker and thought it was going to be a palate cleanser. <laughs> So fuck you guys! <laughs> oh wow! I mean, I, okay, no, I um, I wasn't expecting this, but I actually had an interesting time with this book. I genuinely really like the artwork. I think it's yeah, it's really it. It reminded me a lot of Mitch Jared's work on the recent Mister Miracle run, but without like the the corrupted medium aesthetic, like without all the sellotape and like uh, VHS fuckery that was going on in that comic. But like, it's got this um washed out, sun bleached, pulpy look. And so, like, I think to the point you were saying, Greg, it's got a very, I feel like the style of it is very noir. Like, it's got this, um, yeah. like, languid noir thing, which makes yeah. it, like, suffuses everything that, with, a, like, an intensity, yeah. which I, mean, I really wasn't expecting. I would love a mask comic done by Mike Halred. Mm. Because I think, the, I think Mike Halred's art style would suit it, and it would look, it would look fantastic. Um, and it would actually suit the tone, but I mean, like, I mean, in this, the tone it, it is like rather, rather dark, rather noir, and it's like it's the violence doesn't come across in the same way it comes across in the previous incarnations, and I think it, it is missing something. It's missing that little something. But I'm not saying it's a bad comic for that. It's still good. It's still really good. I'm still enjoying it, but it's just far grimmer. Um. Uh, it's a different tone, but it's still an interesting book. Uh, it's a good setup that works for new readers and old fans because it draws together threads from the previous books in the series and it, it also manages to stay fresh. So you could pick this up and you could get a decent idea of what was going on without having read the previous stuff. Mm. It's a good introduction to like all the all the past and all the yeah. previous um, like inhabitants of Big Head. I guess I don't know what you would call them, the owners of the mask. Yeah. But, like one thing I wanted to say is because um, again, going off of how much I love the artwork, I think every time you see Big Head in up close is stunning. Like I really love yeah. like the amount of texture and detail and like character that's put on the on like on his big wide eyed green ridiculously toothy face i think it's yeah. i think it's genuinely quite beautiful in, in yeah. a in a disgusting sort of way <laughs> i love it but mm. yeah it's um i mean i love the character like i like the old comics because i like the way that they work um i like them mechanically better than i like this but i did enjoy this book still it was still good um so i, I mean I, I think my interest in this book petered out 
once it got too much into like the other inhabitants of this city. Um, like I feel like the the bookends of this book were much more interesting to me than the middle. Yeah, I mean, if you if you were to go back, Ray, and check out the original run, mm. um, if you could go back and check out some of the original mass comics, then uh, you'd you'd probably like enjoy them more. Yeah. So, like, um, mm. I mean, the original mass comics, uh, we're talking like the early nineties and everything, and there are like. Um, uh, it was a five issues. There we go. That was the original run. I was close with four. It was five. It's just because they all blur into one when you're reading them as an omnibus. Because mm-hmm. the way they've set the omnibus up for this is you don't necessarily get covers in between. It just goes from The Mask to The Mask Returns. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's okay. five issues and um, it's uh, really, really good. Um, it's it's like really decent fun. Um, this is like 89 to 91 kind of time. Um you got the mask returns um and then you've got the mask strikes back then you've got the mask the hunt for green october the mask southern discomfort the mask toys in the attic uh then there's like the official movie adaption the mask world tour adventures the mask which is based on the um the animated series that the mask got oh yeah i got a couple of issues of that when uh, yeah. before i read before i read the original run when yeah. i you know only watched the film and watched the cartoon i got the comic that tied in with the cartoon yeah and then uh walter got his own thing walter campaign of terror <laughs> oh walter's um he runs for mayor of edge city in a comic it's four issues <laughs> he's, long he's he's terrifying in the original run oh he is yeah he's horrible he's just he, <laughs> he you know what? he's basically solomon grundy yeah i'd love to see walter and solomon grundy go at it <laughs> Uh, Night of the Living It Kiss Kinder, which is like a Halloween type thing. Um, you've got Grifter and the Mask, uh, Lobo Mask, where <laughs> Lobo and the Mask crossover, and that is fabulously nineties. Uh, <laughs> you've got it was February ni- February to March nineteen ninety seven, and it's peak nineties comics. That is Lobo and the Mask. Uh, Stop saying the word mask. <laughs> Big head, big head, big head. Yeah, mask, 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 mask. Shit, that's a load. That's a lot of comics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. It's, no, no, it's... The, the the ones that I read were I, I think the first yeah. three lines. So like the yeah. the mass um, the mass strikes back and then yeah. whatever the third one was called. Mm. Yeah, okay. those those are the ones I've read, and mm. I think what happens in these books in what's what happens in this book when they introduce other characters like the retired cop and everything else. They are all people who've previously worn the mask in previous bits. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got and you'll, some... you'll recognise them even just from yeah. the movie, uh, Rahul, because you know um, the, the 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 washed up policeman in this first issue of this new run is mm-hmm. Detective Call- uh, Kellaway from uh, the the movie in the cartoon. Yes, mm-hmm. and yeah. Detective and Kellaway then... wears the mask in um, the second sort of like part of the original five issue run. Mm. Right, right. Okay. And then the the yeah. the, the, the lady that's um, campaigning for is it senator, governor, and then she's yeah. going to try and become president. Mm-hmm. She is Stanley Ipkiss's ex girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, I got that from from yeah. this. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, she's Stanley Ipkiss is an asshole in this. He's horrible. He's a yeah. <laughs> boyfriend with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, like, he is like you said, Jim Carrey. He is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Actually, yeah, if you want incel fuel, Stanley Ipkiss. Hundred <laughs> percent. Just putting that out there. Like, no, forget the Joker. Yeah. Um speaking of actually, there is a Joker mass crossover. Oh, that would be insane, I imagine. Yeah. Um 
and uh there's yeah so that is your uh your list of previous mass comics but i mean that's not all of it but that's that's some of the better bits um i mean yeah um i i actually like this as another entry into the series i actually like it. i actually do enjoy it 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 was good it just it just didn't have something that the like the violence was a bit malicious in this and and it kind of like i don't know maybe maybe that's the point maybe it's supposed to be like well you're not meant to enjoy this because we're not meant to enjoy violence are we we're not meant to be desensitized to it because i mean we are most of us are desensitized to it unfortunately but we're not supposed to be are we and I, I maybe it's making that kind of statement actually the more i think about it the more i can actually see that it's like the whole being desensitized to cartoon violence thing like actually these things are actually really fucking horrible you know so yeah yeah, yeah. It, being less jovial maybe works for it actually but there we go uh that is the mask um and i will give you the uh uh, the mask i pledge allegiance to the mask uh, i'll give you the credits for that so um we've got um christopher cantwell uh on writing duties we've got patrick reynolds doing art lee luffridge does colors nate piercos of blambot does letters um and uh yeah so this next one is the second part well the second thing that ties into the year of the villain stuff is it not um yeah. the second thing to come spinning out of dark knight's metal which is the thing it's it's like basically the main reason marv came tonight i can hear I'm him so vibrating excited. in his chair <laughs> so about excited about, about this it's crazy yeah <laughs> but marv first i must break you <laughs> <laughs> so yes tales from the dark multiverse batman nightfall so um this is basically like it's a big old what if. It's another Elseworldsy type, type type story from the DC universe. It's an interesting look at a failed universe from within the Dark Multiverse. So uh, it's part of the event that's building to this coming crisis that we've already talked about. The barrier between um, the barrier between like the, the the failed Dark Multiverses and the uh, the normal multiverse. The the fifty two worlds has been shattered and. Um, yeah, this is almost like a, a Marvel What If, but except you've got Tempest Fuginot um, giving the introduction instead of the Watcher, um, and the what way the name, book is, the yeah, Tempest Fuginot, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the way the book is like introduced and plays out, it is pretty much almost like a Marvel What If, um, and um, this is all coming from the events of Dark Knight's Metal. Uh, Obviously, as a massive Bat fan, this needed to be read. And also, as a massive Nightfall fan, I could not just leave this on the shelf. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's give you some uh, some in, some uh, kind of blurb from this. So, don't miss the twisted tale from the pages of the game-changing event, Batman Nightfall. 30 years after Bruce Wayne was broken and failed to take back the mantle of the Bat, Jean Paul Valley, now known as Saint Batman, has turned Gotham into the city of his dreams. In his new order, killing has become commonplace and criminals live in constant fear. All in the name of justice. But just when all seems lost, a new hope for Gotham City rises. The son of Bane. So there we go. All hail Saint Batman. As it saith on the cover of the book. (laughs) 
And, um, yeah, it, I thought this was great fun, great edgy fun. Uh, Marv, let's, uh, well, I mean, what do you reckon? I, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I'm very, very glad that the blurb, um, says son of Bane in that because there is one line in my notes that is just with a period after each word, it's just son of Bane. I can't believe that. Yeah. So I, I thought I was going to have to dance around that, but yeah, no, um, yeah. some of the characters that appear in this, um, obviously the whole thing is a big callback to Nightfall, which is one of my favorite trade paperbacks of all time. Yeah. Um, and the way that they like they could have gone anyway, you know, if you just mm. start if you start the idea start with the idea that um Bruce Wayne lost to Jean Paul Valet in Night's End, um and he continued to take it continued to be um sort of Azrael Batman and you know Bruce Wayne never took the mantle back, what would the world look like? There's a million different ways you could go with that idea. But what they did in this story I think really works um with the tone set in Nightfall and Night's End, especially around the way that Jean-Paul Valley is yeah. Batman, um, and also with the events of Dark Knight's Metal and the mood that that comic had, I think it, it rides a really nice line between the tones of those two comics. Yeah, it's it's like having another one-shot for another, another like, another failed Batman. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And it, well, <laughs> as the pages turn, that becomes more and more true. Exactly, yes, yes. We do, we do love a bit of, a bit of scarily failed Batman. uh but like i mean i i really did love this book and i really did love that it was it was a callback to nightfall because i love the nightfall run i love the nightfall arc um i love the way it plays out and i you know the the whole story with batman being broken and then Azrael taking over and like like you were saying marv like what if what if batman never managed to wrest the mantle back from Azrael? what if the cow stayed firmly on Azrael's shoulders well that's what this is and um yeah it was great great edgy fun there's some stunning artwork throughout it it's like especially like uh one of like the things i've actually got here in my notes the recreation of a classic page yes as part of a splash displaying the events that led up to the point where the story diverges that led up to the choice or rather the the kind of less of a choice in this and more of a tipping point because it wasn't like batman chose to lose to john paul valley it's just like what if things went the other way yeah like down the toilet instead of like <laughs> where they should have gone <laughs> and things did definitely go down the toilet um so yeah it's like a recreation of the famous uh splash page from um the the nightfall book where uh or one of the i can't remember which batman issue that is but we actually discussed it when marv was asking us about our favorite panels he asked us a question and we talked about our favorite comics panels um and it was we brought it up i brought it up actually um it's where bane is breaking batman's back um and it's it's like this kind of like uh yellow and orange um explosive background bane snapping batman over his knee like a two by four um and yeah it's just absolutely gorgeous and it's just got break you in big like striking lettering work and like yeah the kind of lettering that you'd expect in a hulk comic or something oh man every time i talk about it i want it on a poster <laughs> like a huge like a1 poster that i can frame and <laughs> hang above my bed or something you know just like oh man <laughs> i mean sophie had never let me but <laughs> 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 it's just... 
<laughs> I just want that poster. But yeah, no, it's it's a great it's it's a great splash, and I love the fact that they recreated it for this, and I love that this is just such a labor of love to the Nightfall arc. Definitely, so like, the attention yeah. to detail in all of the little again the time the whole thing is a callback to Nightfall, but the little details um, that link back to the story, like I mean. It's not a massive spoiler. It did. It took my breath away when I saw it in the comic. And it's, it's again, it's not a massive spoiler. But um, the fact that um, Saint Batman is using Venom when in the Nightfall story, Bane's reliance on Venom was something that both uh, both Bat- Batman, Bruce Wayne, and John Paul Valley had disdained for. Um, it's, yeah, I, I, it's a very um, succinct way mm. to sort of um, speak to his fall as Batman. Yeah. Also, he... oh, sorry, carry on. No, no, the fact that he would rely on basically his enemy's weapon yes. is almost like in, um, in Batman Beyond where Bruce Wayne picks up the gun and he's like, the fact that I even thought of doing this means that I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, exactly. It, it's fantastic. I love that. And I I was going to say when you were talking about callbacks, um, there is a point where Batman relies on Venom. Yes, a very, very, very good <laughs> Um, run of comics yes uh, one of the venom. first that my dad ever showed me batman yeah. venom great yeah. storyline yeah i love that um the, the the gist of that is batman um fails to save somebody and it's because he wasn't strong enough to lift something out of the way and it haunts him and he discovers venom and this is all in the run-up to nightfall actually because i think batman venom takes place before because venom had hit the streets of gotham before bane made it to gotham from yes. Pina, um, oh, what's his island prison called? I can never remember the name of it without looking at it. <laughs> Pina Jura, that's it. <laughs> but it is a great, and it, yeah. it's um, when you were saying, you know, when he fails to lift something, it's uh, it's 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 an event that makes you as the reader um, understand why Batman would become reliant on a strength drug. Because oh, yeah. any other situation, you'd be like, Batman wouldn't do that. But to have what happens in that comic happen and to fail in the way that he did, you can understand why he'd beat himself up that much. Yeah, and then Bane comes over from Pina Joro and the rest is history. <laughs> but like, it's just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, you can understand why that would have such an effect on him and you can kind of see it. Like, you can imagine like him in his head, like if this was, Clark could have done it. Clark would have saved that kid, you know, and he just knows it. Like, and he knows that he failed because he's simply a man. Mm. (sighs) Poor Batman. (laughs) But yeah, at the same time, this and uh, this being such a labor of love and being so great and just full of gnarly action panels and great character and environmental design like i'm loving the the new asbat suit yeah yeah it's yeah. really cool it's uh it's almost like an assassin's creed skin yeah and um, there's certain shots where they have close-ups on his mask and he almost looks like batman scarecrow because he's got the mask all stitched up and yeah. sort of re re uh re- repaired after many many battles that he's been in and stuff he's the bat paladin <laughs> but um, the panel work um yeah. like you were saying there's one page that stood out to me, um, just masterful panel work, where um, you've got a full map of Gotham City, and then there's just all these horizontal panels going down the page of all these explosions yes. in different regions. And like without the map behind it, yeah. it would just be like, oh, there's a bunch of explosions going on. But the fact yeah. that they've got the map behind it, you understand that this is going on simultaneously across yeah. the cities. Yeah. Very good visual storytelling. I do love that. Um, and 
yeah it's just just everything like the 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 design of the crumbling gotham streets and the how claustrophobic it all is with with like the backdrop of the burning dust sky and you can just imagine that like i mean when you were reading the nightfall books you could just see it in the characters but you could just imagine like a humid summer night in gotham Mm. like everyone is just like hating themselves because it's just like so warm and so close and so claustrophobic and like it must it must stink but it captured that move per- mood perfectly like it was just like the burning dusk of gotham and just the fact that it just looked like it just looks like hell yeah it looks and, like, apocalyptic yeah Azrael is this like armored demon paladin just presiding over all of it and but this is his dream yeah, this is exactly what you wanted. Yeah. And one of the things that I love the most, because again, we talk about it carrying on the tone of Nightfall and everything. One of the things that um, struck me, even as a kid reading Nightfall, but rereading it the hundreds of times that I have done between then and now, um, the way that the characters are drawn and written in Nightfall, when you can sense the doom like way, way more than the lead up to um, the death of Superman. I, I felt oh, yeah. none of yeah. the doom that they were trying to build up in that. But no. in Nightfall, like the way yeah. that Catwoman um, is sort of monologuing to herself, even the villains, you can tell that they can sense there's a shift coming in Gotham. Uh, yeah. When Batman falls and Azrael picks up the mantle, they can all sense something is wrong. There's yeah. this horrible sort of uh, um, encroaching darkness that everyone seems to be affected by and that carries on into this comic where it's yeah. like it's just been 30 years of that and everyone's yeah. suffered and yeah it's just oh i cannot i cannot express my love for this book enough <laughs> as a batman fan and as a nightfall fan and one of these days marv we are going to get you on to do the nightfall i am counting down to it I, it's going to be... be a four-hour podcast oh yeah it'll be it'll be me and you in green leather wig uh, wingbacks with <laughs> with a couple of bottles of whiskey <laughs> we'll have a salon yeah. about, about batman nightfall <laughs> uh, that, yeah. that sounds like my dream yes <laughs> i'm coming just to watch we're gonna call it the batman nightfall sur- uh, salon and it'll just be me and marvin smoking jackets just uh <laughs> discussing I have to it. ask I have to ask, though, uh, two questions. One, uh, Rahul, did you did you read this issue as well? I didn't, although while you guys were talking about it, I did just pick it up on Comixology, and the artwork is amazing. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely it's really, Yeah, it's really great. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's my, a beautiful, my, beautiful book. My second question was going to be, um, what did you think of it uh, as someone who didn't... I don't know if you've read it at all, but who definitely hasn't reread Nightfall as much as me and Greg have. <laughs> no, I've not read Nightfall. That's the one that's like comes in three doorstoppers, right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. tone. I've I haven't read that. It's absolutely <laughs> enormous, and yeah. yeah, it's gay. It's like it's it's kind of actually. Is it bigger than Age of Apocalypse? Is there more Nightfall than there is Age of Apocalypse? I could definitely see that being true. <laughs> I think, I think, then, I think there is, yeah. And I think Nightfall is actually way more entertaining than Age of Apocalypse. I was, was well. going to say the thing about Nightfall, and this is just becoming a Nightfall podcast. Yeah. But the thing about Nightfall is, damn near every page is entertaining. Like, there's no, I not this. Um, let me say it first, and then I'll correct myself after. But there's like, there's no drop off. No. There's no times where you're thinking to yourself, God, I don't want to be reading this. Yeah. And then I correct myself by saying when they flash back to the whole Two Face bit. Um, yeah. 
you know, in the second book, they flash back to before the backbreaking, and you've got this long extended Two Face storyline that comes out of nowhere that really does feel like filler. But apart from that, the whole thing just runs on. It's this carnival ride of just, again, doom yeah. and. It is it's, like it's called Nightfall, and it's just the fall of Gotham City. It's great. It's great. It's escalation. Yes, that's and the then, word I was. And then it hits a, a beautiful, beautiful orange and yellow peak, which is that one page. <laughs> and then, and then you go down the other side of the mountain, and then you climb oh, and, back up with a broken back. And again, it's um, like the the, the the framing and everything. Uh, every issue has the uh, the classic Batman symbol, and it's slowly being eclipsed by yeah. the new Batman symbol. Yeah, and it gets halfway at the backbreaking, and then by the time you get to the end, when Azrael finally beats Bane, spoilers, um, it's fully <laughs> it's fully the Azbat symbol. Yeah, and, oh, it's so good. It's the so good. it's the eclipse. It's the eclipse of the Bat signal. The eclipse of <laughs> Gotham. The eclipse of everything that Batman stands for. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it, everything about it is done yeah. so well. Indeed. There's probably someone listening who's like, eh, it's not that good. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell oh. you what this reminds me of. Like, just flicking through this comic while you guys are, like, gushing <laughs> over it <laughs> is how much, like, I grew up um, not having access to this stuff. But when I did, I didn't... And maybe it informs the way I am now, but, like, I don't really... I'm not that invested in the story, but I love just pouring over the artwork. Mm. Like... There's something really satisfying about not having to care, like deliberately not letting yourself care about the the narrative and like all of the um like the different points that come together because you have to read a hundred different issues and like continuity and lore and all that stuff. And I just want to see kick-ass poses and like cool artwork and like I think that's okay. I'm okay with it. I'm cool yeah. with just like r- skipping through this and seeing like all the cool designs and yeah. whatever the fuck this badass red Batman type suit is. And I think, yeah, I think that's also the difference between discovering something like this in your formative years mm. and discovering something like this now. Like I, I discovered this when I was, you know, like a, a young kid, and like when you are more impressionable things are so much more badass and feel so much more life and death when you're reading about them and things like that and it's just it just i don't know it just has more of an impact and i think a lot of it um is like me looking back on stuff with rose tinted glasses because like a lot of the things that a lot of the comics that i hold dear from back then if i if i probably held them this is why i like having you on the cash ray as a co-host this is why you're here because i can hold these comics up to you and through my rose-tinted glasses, they look amazing. But I can hold them up to you and you can be like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> okay, you know what? The thing with that, though, is like... So if, I wanna, if I'm comparing the Joker book we just read yeah. and this one, uh, Tales from the Dark Multiverse... Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about how like me and Leon are slightly more similar and a little bit apart from you in the sense that we don't need everything explained. And like I, I enjoy things that are very experiential... And, like, looking through Tales from the Dark Multiverse, I think there's, like, a tone and a style and a thing that comes off the page through, like, consideration of the panel structure and, like, the the, the blocking and framing of, like, you know, the virtual comic camera and all these figures. That's a lot more satisfying to just whiz through than it was with Joker. And I actually spent time, you know, sitting down and reading... Um, joker year of the villain and i feel like already i'm more satisfied by this comic if you know what i mean there's just something there's something about it something about the tone that it's giving that feels 
like satisfying to, to my sensibilities and like i can see why you're really into it i think it's a shame that i don't have the um one the background like i don't have that thing you said about the formative years and i also don't have the attention span to like commit <laughs> to this story but like god damn i love this artwork it's really cool yeah. there's one panel like i think i'm about halfway through the book where it's i think it's a flashback and there's like this sepia tinted moment through the eyes of a child i think oh yeah what? yeah 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 i know the, the panel you're talking about yeah, yeah like i could have this printed like i would have this as a wallpaper or something and or like printed on my uh, into a frame on my wall it, it's spectacular mm. it's, it's almost um renaissance yeah yeah it's great but um like, going it, like back it, to... it could have been painted on the inside of a church maybe yeah, the, the Church of Saint Batman. <laughs> the <laughs> Church of Saint to, Dumas. <laughs> going back to what you were saying, Greg, yeah. um, about the difference between uh, reading it in your formative years and sort of being ingrained in the story, and then what Rahul was saying about um, sort of dipping in and pouring over the artwork and the structure. I mm. lie firmly in the middle of both of those points because I did read Nightfall right at the right time in probably well definitely the same time as you because obviously it came out at a particular time in history but um reading nightfall then and getting completely sucked in and you know spinning off and reading about the return of bane and you know all these different stories that came off of nightfall um around the same time that i was really getting into spider-man in a big way and just discovering venom and becoming an edgelord and um (laughs) all of that stuff it kind of fell away and so for like i mean we've talked about it the last couple of times that i've been on the cast and we've talked about my comic history but um i didn't follow comics for a long time after that and so i would dip in and much like um leon and rahul i would read trade paperbacks i'd read contained stories where i didn't have to know that lex luther had become half martian and become apex lex (laughs) (laughs) i just love that just just love apex lex <laughs> but I, I would read these contained stories or these completely nothing yeah. to do with the normal superhero canon sort of Watchmen V for Vendetta style stories where it's like, yeah. this is the story, this is the beginning and the end, and I would really love it. But in the meantime, I would flip through single issues of the latest Spider-Man or the latest Batman and be like, what the hell is going on? This looks amazing. So it's yeah. kind of uh, not the best of both worlds, but like uh, uh, crumbs of both of your experiences over the years. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll see you, Apex Lex, at Crisis 2020. <laughs> Through the championship belt, rage in a cage. <laughs> Apex Lex. Damn. If there ever was a name. <laughs> oh. oh, God. So, yes, that is Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Batman Nightfall number one. And that is... <laughs> Written masterfully by Scott Snyder and Kyle Higgins. Um, drawn beautifully by Javier Fernandez. Coloured exquisitely by Alex Guimaraes. And uh, lettered perfectly by Clayton Cowles. And uh, from there... Um, Ray, you've been reading Resonant. I have. In fact, I'm going to, I know we structured this for me to like split up the two comics that I wanted to talk about. I'm going to talk about them back to back because I know you guys will want to gush about the final comic this week. Um, So I'll dive into Resonant first, but we talked about um, Resonant issue number one in episode 64, I think it was. It's a new comic from Vault Comics, uh, writing by David Andre, um, art by Alejandro Aragon, colors by Jason Wordy and letters by Darren Bennett. Um, set in a dystopian world corrupted by a signal which causes people to self-harm 
And like we start, we follow the story of a father leaving his home to get medicine for his children, essentially. And it's, I liked it because it's, it's kind of like a verdant apocalypse where, you know, nature has taken back the land, but there are still plenty of humans to fear from. And, um, so with this one, I think the thing that I really love is like Alejandro Aragon's art is uh, like slathered in these bende dots and other really disruptive textures, but like the blocking and framing of each page retains a lot of clarity. Um, like thinking again, I keep going back to, I always, I always do this every week where I find the comic that I like the least and point out the things that the comic I like the most does better. But like, I think that each page retains a lot of clarity in resonant, despite having a lot of disruptive textures. Um, it's not claustrophobic and it leaves a lot of space for where these colors to pop through. And I really like that. And like the whole team as a unit really shines in the moments in the story when this, uh, you know, the, this uh, resonant signal cuts in um, and affects the population and like the pacing, the art, like the pacing of the narrative, the art, the colors, and then uh, Darren Bennett's lettering, like the mesmerizing repetition of chap, 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 working together to really give a sense of like this immediate panic and dislocation. And so issues number two and three, which I read today uh, or this week, um, continue this adventure and takes the story from a dystopian slice of life, which is kind of what it was in issue one, and into more of an adventure fair, which I'm not super keen on, but it it jumps into this larger world really quickly. And I think I would have been happy for it to languish in its setting a little bit longer, but again, that's a very me thing maybe. But like with this pace comes a really surprisingly wide variety of locations and scenarios, which means there's just more opportunity for the, the artwork to be doing something different constantly. And uh, some of my, it has some of my favorite silent panels. And you know, I love silent panels. I like art that doesn't have any text over it. And um, one of the best single page art pages I've seen this year, like this is one in particular in issue three, which has like, it captures this sense of solitude and despair and impatience and resignation with such colorful flair that again, I could easily cut it out and frame it and put it on my wall. So I, I wanted to shout out resonant just that one more time. I don't know if, um, I'll talk about issue number four on the next cast. I think maybe I'll wait till there's a trade paperback and convince you guys to catch up on it. But I think it's a it's a worthy pick for now. And Vault are still putting out good work. Like I, I don't know if you've caught up on these, have you, Greg? Not with Resonant, no. But um, I just want to draw attention to last episode and the fact that we read a stormer of a Vault comic. The oh yeah, plot. which one was that again? The plot. The plot, right? Mm. I don't think I've caught up on that one. Yeah, Vault, Vault are doing the uh, the new Nightfall thing now, where they basically, yeah, that's right, Nightfall. You heard? <laughs> no, they. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in the game. <laughs> Marv's <laughs> listening again. No, they're um, <laughs> they're doing this um, this uh, like line of horror comics um, called Vault. It's called Vault Nightfall, and they're gonna release. Hmm. Um, around this time of year, every year, they're going to release horror comics on the Nightfall label, hmm. which uh, I, sounds pretty cool. I do just want to say before you continue, Rahul, that like listening to you talk about that comic makes me want to read it so bad because it's like having not experienced it. It's like listening to someone describe the taste and texture of the perfect steak dinner. Like you're making me <laughs> hungry for this artwork and this structuring. <laughs> it's so colourful while having such a like a, a grim plot. And I think this is what I like. I like artwork that kind of undercuts the um like the severity of the world that it's in. And this one does that really well, where it's still a really dark tale. It's you know, it's uh, this horrific um 
post-apocalyptic world where everybody's out for themselves, but it doesn't have to be like slathered in greys and darks, you know, dark reds and everything to to make it work. If anything, it's um, it's heightened by this sense of like vibrancy because the world has taken like Mother Nature's taken back over. Yeah. It's it's really good. I really like it. Um. um oh, sorry, gone. You you were going to move on and talk about everything. Yeah, I think I'll dive into everything number two, issue number two, quickly. Um, let me just pull up the credits for that. So this is um, a burger book. Uh, it's written by Christopher Cantwell. It has art by I.N.J. Culbert, uh, lettering by Steve Wands. And we dived into chapter one a few weeks ago. Um, and I assume that issue number two picks up where issue number one left off. I, I mean, I don't know. It feels like a distant and rapidly fading fever dream and one that didn't even make sense in the process, let alone after post-processing. Oh. <laughs> but um, issue number two is just as discomforting as I remember issue one yeah. being. Like, yeah. Because uh, I, I didn't go back and reread one. I think I should. Um, but it, like this book is just full of jarring moments of whiplash and narrative interruption. And like it has... It has moments where there's like an accelerated building of images over clashing colors culminating in like religiously bombastic alien faces. It has a meandering chant interrupted by the sudden and casual commencement of a silent memorial procession where uniformed shop staff uh, pout and throw confetti along the shopping aisles. <laughs> and then like this moment is punctuated by a, uh, a full page of gun adverts, including a dog like stoically stat- sat in front of a, a rack of rifles and a woman's torso. You only see her torso. You don't see her like head or her feet, but you see this woman's torso wearing a US flag bikini with a pistol tucked into the pants. And like, <laughs> it's not... It's not so much scary as it is bewildering in a sensory overload sort of way. And I really like that. I really like that I can yeah. think about it as much or as little as I like. And like, I don't know if I have much else to say about it. Like, it's just, it's, if you, again, using that word experiential, if you like stuff that's just there to, I, I don't want to use the word just, for me, it inflamed this sense of like, um, overstimulation and like, like I said, sensory overload and, dislocation and not really quite getting what the plot is but getting this sense of like dread and evil in the back lot of this um like shopping mall that popped up out of nowhere i I think you'll dig this like i know you like it greg oh i absolutely love this comic i I have nothing but good things to say about this book did you Uh, read number two yeah yeah and like everything you said about it like it just it feels even more like it's um it's holding a mirror up to the world mm. in issue two i can see that even more holding a mirror up to retail in the world than i could in issue one and like, obviously there's like this undertone of like some weird signal going out over the town and everything else and it's all very twin mm. peaks in that way mm. um because it's got like, it's got like this kind of like this very for me, it's got like this very Twin Peaksy tone. Yeah, yeah, and and that is one of the things that I think I really love about it as well. I think I'd say Twin Peaks by way of X Files. Like it's got a yeah, bit more yeah. of a sci-fi edge. It's got a bit more of like yeah. sinister underpinning, whereas Twin Peaks was more spiritual, vibe, like spiritual and like vibe to give um, give like momentum to this overarching mystery, you know, murder mystery plot. Yeah. Um, one thing I've just noticed, like I've reopened this book, the first page where it has the credits basically has an excerpt from every single one of my favorite moments of this book. Like it yeah. has the balls to give its, 
um, like its its best moments right from the start, just out of context. And then when you find a context, it doesn't really give you that much more context. It's it's really cool. I, I really like. I, I dig I, the um. The, I like the that I'm just piece. having jigsaw pieces like thrown at me violently. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. that. I like that I'm gonna... yeah, just being cannon yeah. like t-shirt cannon into your face. <laughs> And then I have to sit there and put them all together while they're reloading the t-shirt cannon. Yeah, And hopefully I've assembled some of the jigsaw by the time number three comes out, because I'm going to get hit again. It's so wild, though, because even the little adverts and stuff, there's something really sinister about seeing a couple wearing the same checked shirt and canoodling in bed next to the... like a, a stark black and white silhouette of a fire. Like it's, but, just, it's just odd. There's some really have, interesting have you ever looked at these side by side with real adverts? I mean, real adverts from the 60s or 70s. Yeah, they're not that far off. Like they're obviously inspired by, I don't know, but like whatever the catalogs would have been. There's something the unnerving about some adverts you see today anyway. Mm. Like, I mean, I'm talking about adverts as in like, if you see catalog adverts and things, um, adverts that you might see for, um, <laughs> perfumes and stuff yes clothing perfumes every things like that that you will just see on bus shelters or popping up in the middle of your facebook feed because you're more likely to be looking at that than the bus shelter when you walk yeah down this the street. is but like this is more like wish.com than like, yeah exactly you know what i mean it <laughs> is that's exactly what it is yeah <laughs> yeah it's fucked up <laughs> it's really good i feel i feel like um wish.com is like What's that thing they call in the thing in Hellraiser that they? Oh, what's the puzzle? Oh, called? the puzzle the, box. I yeah, can't the cube. The name um, of it. Yeah, yeah. Wish dot com came out of that. <laughs> I'm one hundred percent sure Wish dot com came out of that. <laughs> Monkey's <laughs> poor of a nap. Uh, yeah. what was it? The, the lament configuration. Yes. Yeah. What a what a goddamn name. That's, oh. great. <laughs> yeah. That's where Wish dot com came from. <laughs> Some of the, some days you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you just see the most outlandish shit on the way. And like it gives you, it, it gives you this weird paranoia that you've done something to influence those adverts. But I know for sure I've not been looking at speedos. Like I know that I haven't. So why is it showing me that? What does it know about me that I don't know about myself? You're a, you're exactly. a man. You're in your mid thirties. You like speedos. <laughs> I don't understand like the full face cat masks and stuff. Yeah, like, this is some, I mean, some of it just like being horror tamed. movie shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wish wish dot com is a mess. Wish is a mess. <laughs> but, yeah. Not sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And we don't want to be either. No, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't want your blood money. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Mm. It's like yeah no 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 but anyway yeah it's it every, everything's great and it, it it basically encapsulates everything that gives me the heebie-jeebies about modern consumerism <laughs> um yeah and uh from there we move on to our final comic today which is called the batman's grave um now this is uh the latest warren ellis thing uh this is uh warren ellis and brian hitch um who have come together to give us this uh, wonderful Batman story, wonderful macabre Batman story <laughs> called the Batman's Grave. Um, it's one of the best kind of Batman stories in my eyes anyway. Like these these Batman stories that get really deep and psychological, these Batman stories that are at their core just detective tales, which is what Batman is good at. These Batman stories that are short but 
deep enough and meaningful enough to leave an impression. The kind that you will buy as a trade um, and you will find on the shelves of people that probably don't even read that many books, that many comic books. Um, And this is Warren Ellis uh, with uh, Brian Hitch on pencils, Kevin Nolan on inks, uh, Alex Sinclair on colours and Richard Starkings doing lettering. Um, And yeah, so... This is some stunning work from Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. It's an exploration of Batman's vulnerable psyche through a classic Batman-style detective story. So, um, if I give you the blurb, the world's greatest detective must try to inhabit the mind of a murder victim to solve a case without filling the empty grave next to those of his parents. Can Batman imagine the life of a corpse with a half-eaten face without dying himself? Mm. Indeed. (laughs) So, it's... Batman getting into the mind of the victim. Batman is ever the victim. And, like, you you kind of think that when he's doing what he does, when Batman does what he does, does he do it because he feels everyone's pain and wants to exact vengeance on behalf of everyone, of all of Gotham? Or is he doing this because he still feels his own... We know he still feels his own pain, but is he doing it just because he still feels his own pain? Now... There's some awesome sequences here um, when Batman is inhabiting the mind of the victim and he becomes the victim in the panels. He takes on the appearance of the corpse and the comic is it just basically explores the psychological toll that this would take on Bruce Wayne. So you get the impression that every time Bruce does this, every time he he gets so close to the victim, it kind of he kind of leaves something behind. It takes something out of him. Like, when he's he's surrounds himself with death all the time. Like, his whole reason d'etre is the death of his parents, right? Yeah. Um, and he just lives so deep in this hole that... I mean, um, Alfred says it best in this, in a couple of lines. I'm not going to spoil because they're really good lines. Um, but basically, Batman is already in his grave, is the gist of it. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's just a fantastic exploration of that, of Batman's self-destructive nature. like, But not self-destructive in a physical way, as we've seen in, a number of times, where Batman puts himself through days and days and days on end without sleep. And, you know, the most severe pain and beatings a human body could take without falling apart. Pushing like, himself well he beyond pushes his himself well beyond the limits of the human body. And, you know, he takes some real severe punishment at times. And we've seen that side of the self-destructiveness of Batman, the selflessness of, of Bruce Wayne, of Batman, the, 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 what he puts himself through, a martyr for Gotham City, if you like. But what we're seeing in this as well is the destruction on a psychological level. So what, what this does to his mind. Um, and, and it's not necessarily Batman getting into a scrap or Batman getting an engine coming back from that is Batman trying to imagine the life of this victim and getting into this victim's head and what that does to his mind, doing that over and over again, as he does every time he solves a murder. Um, and you, just like the art in this perfectly conveys the mood. It just, the toll that this takes on Bruce, uh, it conveys Alfred's anxiety in this, like the way Alfred deals with this, like, 
Alfred in this drinks um, at the end, you know, like towards the end of his shift, he, he has a drink and listens to music. And that's how he deals with the fact that this man that he, he sees as his son is going out every night and damn near killing himself or, you know, like being a victim in his head, like bringing up all these feelings, dredging up all these feelings of being a victim when he was a kid and his parents died, dredging all that back up to help him solve a murder and and how how painful that must be for him and and what that must be doing to him and and Alfred's just like hates to watch it hates to see it and cuz Alfred loves Bruce mm-hmm. and um it's like the idea that in performing this duty to Gotham the memory of his parents he's destroying himself and bringing himself ever closer to the grave and i i just think it's just, i i just think it's such a great such a great first issue it's such a great introduction to this story um, like I said, some of the best work in this is is when Batman is kind of in a, he's doing his thinking and he's in a simulation of the crime scene, and uh, he is getting into the mind of the victim. And slowly, as he does that, um, as it walks us through the victim's day, as Batman is imagining being the victim, what the victim does daily, you know, like looking at the different things around the room, guys' interests, whatever else, Batman slowly becomes the corpse. Mm. and i just think that's great and i i cannot wait for more of this i i absolutely loved this as a first issue this was brilliant and uh i i want to see that the i want to see the places this takes me i want to see the places this takes batman and the places this takes bruce um I have to ask because um, as you were describing that, I mean, it's 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 pulling me in more and more. Um, but the two things that it made me think of, the two things that it reminded me of, are both ironically named Arkham Asylum. Um, <laughs> it made me think of the first time that I read the Arkham Asylum uh, uh, trade paperback, and the moment in the Arkham Asylum video game where you're going through the uh, Scarecrow part. And yes. Scarecrow's making Bruce relive the murder of his parents, and the yeah. corpses, you know, the corpses of his parents are berating him for not being there for him and everything. Do, does this comic give you that same sort of feeling of Batman's psyche slowly unraveling? Less of that, less less overt than that. Mm. More insidious creep. Okay. So we know that he's doing this to himself. We can see that he's not right. And uh, Alfred sees this too. And Alfred can't stop him. And he's just doing what Batman does. But you can see that doing what Batman does takes a toll on him. We don't we don't get the visual of him, you know, because I think there's been so many books where we've seen Batman's parents die. I, I, I cannot count the number of times I have seen a page where I've seen dead Waynes. <laughs> like, but it's... It's it like it, it it gives you all of that without having to show you all of that, if you catch mm. my drift. Yeah, you get all of the trauma without um, all the reliving. Yes, because what he's actually reliving is he's 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 getting into the mind of this other victim, this this other murder victim, and and he inhabits the body of this murder victim, and it's almost maca- it's so macabre in the way that the art works and the way that it does that, in the way that Batman all of a sudden takes on the appearance of this corpse and, and is walking around this room as this half-eaten dead body. It's just... But, yeah, I mean, that's that's just... It's just great. Such a great story. Classic Batman detective tale. Um, some classic Batman for your trade shelf. Mm. Um, I have to say, it is rather good. 
Yes, so that was the Batman's Grave number one. And uh, that rounds us off. That's the end of the list. Um, we move on to this week's poll list. So, um, Ray, do you want to kick us off for this Wednesday when this podcast will be available, which will be October 23rd? Yeah, I've only got a couple for this week. I, I didn't, didn't actually find anything that caught my eye for the week after. So, uh, yeah, as you said, for the 23rd, um, Money Shot number one, uh, which is something that Vault Comics has been teasing for a long time. I'm not entirely sure of the particulars, but all I know is that it's written by Tim Te- Seeley. been teasing, uh, have they? They've definitely been teasing. Um, <laughs> it, basically, it's it, it looks a bit like Sex Criminals, um, but with more of a... Uh, what, what's the what's the term? On, like an ensemble cast. Um, I'm not really sure what it is, but it's it's vault and it looks sexy and it looks like it's got cool artwork. So I'm I'm into it. Um, that'll be out on the 23rd, and then also Fearless number four, which is a Marvel comic. Now it turns out I didn't I didn't hear about what this run was, but Fearless seems to have the tagline. Sorry, Fearless has the tagline: um, "The fiercest ladies of the Marvel universe unite." Mm. And so the first few issues have been, I think, about like. Captain Marvel, and let me just have a quick scan through here. Sorry, one second. <laughs> I don't actually recognize any of the characters. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but like, the reason number four caught my eye is because it's focused on Ms. Marvel, so I'm going to be picking that up. Um, yeah, those are my two picks for this week. Yeah, so um, this week for me is rather quiet. Um, you've got um, a couple of things. You've got Count Crowley, Reluctant Monster Hunter number one. Struck me as rather Halloween-y. And we've got this uh, this punk girl on the front with this uh, this pumpkin necklace, um, misfits face paint, just everything you love about Halloween. Oh, she's got a bottle of Jim Beam as well, by the looks of it, and a pistol. <laughs> uh, um, she's in a throne. There's some arms reaching out from the back. It's very classic horror. It's very great, very great looking. Um, and this is um, uh, aspiring reporter um, Jerry Bartman is furious when she's demoted to hosting the nightly creature feature at a small town TV station. But Jerry quickly learns that there is more to horror hosting than just introducing bad B movies. Her first night in the costume of her missing predecessor, Count Crowley, finds her face to face with a living, breathing werewolf. Or was she just that drunk? <laughs> I know about you, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> so I'm I'm well on for that. Um, and this is uh, David Dasmalakian as the writer, and Lucas Kettner is the artist and cover artist. Um, we've also got Lauren F on there. Um, so I am looking very forward to this. This is something that is on my list, and I want to pick this up and read it, because it sounds absolutely exquisite. Um, let's just hope it lives up to my hype. Um, the next one is, uh, I've got the, well, got the mall number three, which um, we've talked about the mall... Uh, a few episodes ago now, we, we got a preview of it and, and we uh, we reviewed it. It was very good. Check it out. That's another one on Vault Comics. Uh, we've got Marauders number one, which is something spinning out of the uh, the recent Hox and Pox, uh, House of X and uh, Powers of X. Um, now, this one, Marauders, is... Um, it's like one of the many X-Men teams that sort of spun out of house of x and powers of x it's uh one of the six new series that we've got coming out of that and um 
So yeah, the X-Men sail at dawn. Even in this glorious new dawn, mutant kind faces hardships and oppression from their human counterparts. Led by Captain Kate Pride and funded by Emma Frost and the Hellfire Trading Company, Marauders, Storm, Pyro, Bishop and Iceman sail the seas of the world to protect those hated and feared. Mutant pirates. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it sounds great. (laughs) X-Pirates. Yeah. (laughs) So succinctly put. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, Jerry Duggan on writing duties for that. You've got um, Matteo Loli as an artist. Um, you've got um, oh, a load of cover, variant covers for this. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. In fact, there's a there's a really cool cover for this, actually. Um, there's the, the Red Queen variant, which has got Kate Pride, uh, in a um, a kind of like uh, old schooly captainy jacket, and she's got her fists kind of up to the front cover, kind of leaning over slightly. Um, in that way, when you want to show off your knuckle tattoos, and it says "Hold Fast" on there, and I'm just like, yes, <laughs> want that cover, please. <laughs> so yeah, that is Marauders number one. I mean, like. I kind of promised myself I wouldn't buy every X comic that came out of Hox and Pox, but I'm kind of going to break that <laughs> promise, aren't I? Because these are all looking so really good. Like, you were always going to break that promise. It's a new renaissance for X Men. Like I, I'm down with this man. Hox and Pox were amazing. They, they brought me back on board with X Men. I want to follow X Men again. Uh, Ten thirty. So this is uh, the day before Halloween. Um, so get your costumes ready. Remember to be ready for the big giveaway. Um, that's a Halloween reference. I don't know if any of you got that. You know, the happy, happy Halloween. Oh, Halloween. oh, the second one, the yes. season of the witch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Silver shamrock. Shamrock, yes. I'm so well, glad Marvin's here. <laughs> I did not get that. <laughs> I was actually listening to that advert today. Do you know it's on Spotify? Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was in on my way to work. Um, so <laughs> that is, um, you've got the Savage Avengers annual number one. Um, now, we've talked about Savage Avengers before. I love Savage Avengers. Marv, did you ever read Savage Avengers? No, no, I didn't get around to it. No. I was really interested by it, though. Yeah, it's it's bloody good. <laughs> um, but the uh, the annual is um, doing something a little different. It's like a little side story. Um, get this for a blurb. A barbarian walks into a brothel <laughs> and thus begins another adventure in the life of Conan of Samaria. <laughs> <laughs> human traffickers finally meet an immovable human. Black Widow is drawn into the intrigue by following the trail of bodies left by Kulangath's henchmen. And a last prayer from one of the trafficked women summoned an unexpected angel, the son of Satan himself, Damon Hellstrom. It's the Marvel team-up you didn't know you needed until now. Yes, indeed. I want it. Give it to me. Um, We've got Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 99. Uh, the cover of which is Splinter Behind Bars. A caged rat. <laughs> and uh, this is all in the lead up to issue 100. And uh, it's all very exciting for Turtles fans. Um, I won't bore you with 
what's happening in Turtles comics right now, Ray and Marv, because <laughs> it's just... <laughs> but there's a new turtle. There's five of them now. And oh, she's the, really the cool. female turtle? Yeah, she's really cool. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to issue 100. I want I'm looking forward to this new genesis for Turtles that seems to be on the cards, because I think issue, they're, they're having a new creative team for issue 100. Mm. Uh, and then, then onwards, it's going to be handled by somebody else entirely, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we've got Batman. I just, I just want to say, by the way, it's never boring listening to you talk about tales. It's like genuinely infectious hearing your enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I just feel like I say <laughs> words and people just switch off because they don't understand the words. That's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Annual Number Four um, is out on that day. Uh, Silver Surfer Black Number Five, which is like the penultimate issue. Silver Surfer Black. Uh, Excalibur number one, which, uh, guess what, is another X-Men one. <laughs> now, this one, um, this one excites me more. And that is because um, this is Excalibur. Um, and this is uh, Apocalypse involved in this one. So, mutant kind has always been special, as has their relationship with the world or worlds around them. As this new era dawns, a new connection forms between the mutants and the magic of the world. And that of the of other world. Can the new Captain Britain forge a new way through the chaos with her companions Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, Richter and Apocalypse? I'm very, very much into this. Uh, this is written by Teeny Howard. Um, uh, who I like from... Um, she did like this really cool Thanos run. It's very good. And uh, yeah, this is looking like some prime x-men book so i'm down with it um we've got uh tales from the dark multiverse the death of superman i'm hyped yes so you should be so this is kind of like um well let me let me dig you out a blurb the dark multiverse takes on the highest selling comic book event of all time the death of superman in a broken world much like our own lois lane twisted by rage and grief becomes the eradicator and takes revenge on those who let Superman die. And the corrupt world he could never defeat. Now, with the power of a god, she's going to end the battle by any means necessary. And the reign of Superman will be over before it begins. Nice. Yes. Down with that. Don't know about you, Marv, but I'm down with that. 100%. I'll yes. be getting that. Yes. I, d- I didn't think I'd have anything for the pull list, but that's on my pull list. <laughs> um... <laughs> We've also got a couple of horror book, uh, well, a new horror book and a new fantasy book coming from DC. So, um, I think these were things that might have been Vertigo hmm. had they had Ver- if Vertigo still lived. Um, but we've but these are on DC Black Label now. So we've got this new um, this new fantasy comic called uh, The Last God, Book One of the Fellspire Chronicles. So this is um, DC trying their hands at fantasy. The Last God tells the story of two fellowships of heroes struggling with the same threat, 30 years apart. One group will doom their world, the other must save it. 30 years ago, a band of heroes travelled beyond the borders of creation and killed the last living god, saving the realm of Cain and Un from apocalyptic army of the undead. The legendary companions became the rulers of their world and ushered in a new era of peace and prosperity. But it did not last. Now the foul legions of the last god march once more, laying waste to all of Cain and Un, and revealing that the aging fellowship may not be the great heroes they claim to be. 
With the world burning down around them, a new group of unlikely champions must band together and accomplish what no other has done, kill the last god once and for all. So this is like a dark fantasy story from uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, your writer, and Dean White artist. We also have uh, Jared Blando doing art as well. Um, now, I look at the cover of this and I basically just see a death metal album with the wrong logo on it. <laughs> Um, or some kind of like battle metal, speed metal album or something, thrash. I don't know. It looks like it sounds gnarly. <laughs> um, but, but I, you know, I just, I want to read it cause I do like my fantasy stuff. So I will check this out. Um, what else have we got? Uh, oh yeah. We've got this thing called basket full of heads, which, um, this one goes out to you, Marv. Cause Whoa, this is, one... is this, that's out next week. I, I, I saw October this, I... 30th. Damn, that makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, so Basket Full of Heads number one, released on October 30th, 2019 by DC Comics. It's part of a um, a pop-up uh, comic line that DC are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Hill House Comics. Yes, and mm-hmm. uh, guess who's in charge of that? <laughs> Joe Hill. Mom's- Oh, nice. Yeah, I was going to say, Marl's about to explode. Yeah. <laughs> so, mean, you've got all this is growing. several titles. <laughs> uh, there's five monthly titles coming out of this. Uh, you've got Basketful of Heads. You've got Daphne Byrne. You've got The Dollhouse Family. The Lolo Woods. And Plunge. Uh, Plunge being my favourite one of the five. By, like, just off the covers. Mm. Um... The Lolo Woods looks kind of cool as well, actually. Lolo Woods. Um, it kind of has this, like... Um, okay, so if you look at the cover for the Lolo Woods, and then if you look at a... Um, I'm doing it again, aren't I? There's a cover for a drone album by a band called Earth, called a Drone. I say drone, I mean... Um, is it No, more like Doom. Yes, yeah, Doom, not drone. But it's a, a Doom rock album called The Bees Made Honey in the Lion's Skull. <laughs> And uh, nice, <laughs> kind of has a really similar vibe to that. Apart from mm. there's not two kids standing on top of it. Um, but yeah, so basket full of heads has got um, the uh, the kid from um, it with a basket that appears to be full of heads, uh, shrouded in the American flag and a hatchet. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It's basically Georgie in his yellow hood, yeah, um, yeah. doing what Greg just described. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the rain lashes the grassy dunes of Brody Island, and seagulls scream above the bay. A slender figure in a raincoat carries a large wicker basket, which looks like it might be full of melons, <laughs> covered by a bloodstained scrap of the American flag. This is the story of June Branch, a young woman trapped with four cunning criminals who have snatched her boyfriend for deranged reasons of their own. Now she must fight for her life with the help of an impossible 8th century Viking axe that can pass through a man's neck in a single swipe and leave the severed head still conscious and capable of supernatural speech. Each disembodied head has a malevolent story of its own to tell and it isn't long before June finds herself in a desperate struggle to hack through their lies and manipulations, racing to save the man she loves before time runs out. Plus uh, the premiere chapter of the backup story, Sea Dogs, which sails across all the Hill House comics titles. So Sea Dogs is going to run in the back of all of them. Mm. Um, And that is uh, Joe Hill is the writer there. The artist on this is Leo Max. Um, And uh, 
Yes, it's looking good. These are all looking very good. Yeah, looking forward to this. Exciting times, yes. Uh, and that rounds off the pull list. Um, and I guess that's everything for this episode of Ace Comicals. That has been Ace, Comical, uh, Ace Comicals, episode number 24. Uh, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. On there, you'll find links to our Twitter. Uh, that's uh, We're called Ace Comicals on Twitter. We're called Ace Comicals on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. Um, and, uh, yeah, get involved, DM us at us, whatever you want to do. Ask us about the comics we've been reading. Get involved with the conversation. Tell us if you've read anything we've read and whether you liked it or not. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please reach us at acecomicals at gmail.com uh, or on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke, so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. Marvin, where can we find you? Um, on Twitter uh, at Marvin Lafayette and on Instagram, and that's MarvLafayette84. And do you have anything you want to plug, Marv? Uh, nothing in particular to plug this time around. Uh, just going to say that being off work uh, at the moment, I'm finally going to get round to cracking open Ice Cream Man and starting Doomsday Clock, I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh, do it. You will not regret it. <laughs> Those are some fine comics there. So uh, that has been Ace Comicals number 74. That is Ace Comicals over and out.